What could possibly keep a child psychologist so engaged in her work after nearly 30 years? to Finding Your Brilliance, Episode 2. I'm your host, Katherine Quee. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Karen Miller, who I have had the pleasure of working with for many years. Karen is that kind of psychologist who's always sought after because of her incredible devotion to children and families and her wonderful disposition. Hi, Karen! Hey, Katherine! I am so excited that you are willing to be on my podcast and that you're here today. This is especially fun, this podcast in particular for me, because we're so busy at work that, you know, we've had offices side by side for a while at, you know, but we don't get a chance to talk. We see each other coming and going from our offices and I get to pick your brain and learn from you about a subject that I'm so passionate about, uh, child psychology and the focus being ADHD today. My first question for you is how did you choose, how did you become a child psychologist in the first place? Like how did this happen? I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) I am one of those rare people that always knew I was going to go into psychology. I took a class in high school, fell in love with it, and then majored in it in college. And then have always been fascinated by children. And those two things just seem like a natural fit. And so then I graduated with a a BA in psychology and applied to grad school and clinical child psych. And as you said, 30 years, which is a hard number to swallow. Here I am. (laughs) Well, yeah, when I originally saw, you know, was emailing you and asking you to do this, I said 20. (laughs) It made me feel old. Well, you don't look it. And and seriously, and you have this energy with kids that, you know, everybody recognizes. And I think it is one of the gifts of people in this field. You have to have a lot of energy. And I almost think the kids inspire the energy. It's one of the things I love about working with kids. They give me energy. What else do you love about this work that many people say to me when they find out what I'm doing? They say, wow, I, I, I wouldn't ever want to do that, couldn't do it. You know, and I guess, what do you feel? Like, what, what do you love about it? I get that question a lot, too, and I get that response a lot when mm-hmm. I tell people what I do. And, and quite frankly, it's never felt that way to me. I always feel privileged mm-hmm. to, because I feel like when families come in, it is a really courageous thing to do. It's scary, and they're not sure what they're going to find. And, and to sit with that kind of courage on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. I, I find it inspiring. Mm-hmm. And the kids usually are, if nothing else, curious and and interested and oftentimes very funny so so every day I learn something new and every day I have a funny story you know like there's something funny that's happened or they catch me off guard and I learn something so I appreciate all of that in terms of uh ADHD when we kind of shift to that topic or or more focus on that topic how long would you say you've been a specialist in this area? It's funny when you invited me to do this. I was thinking back, and when I first started 
working in private practice, which was back in Princeton, New Jersey, when we used to live on the East Coast, my, my practice specialized in ADHD. And I used to go around to the schools out there and give talks because at that time, there were teachers out there who really didn't believe it was a disorder, right? These were children who weren't trying hard enough. These were children who needed more discipline. I mean, and so I felt a lot of passion and work around educating teachers about that this is a neurological disorder. And it was really interesting. The young teachers would sit there and nod their heads yes as I was talking, and the old teachers would fold their arms and be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm so thankful that I've had all these years in practice because it's really evolved. And I think that teachers are so much more supportive of kids now and understand it so much better. I just did a talk at the library, our our neighborhood library, and a woman who is a teacher and has been a teacher many years approached me after my talk and said, until my talk, she did not know that ADHD was neurological. Yeah, no, I got a lot of that. I got a lot of pushback. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible now. It is. is. She was teary. She came because of a grandchild that she's now, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so involved in, but with. But I think we still have a lot of work. And, and, you know, one of the things I notice about you, and I just know because you know what other psychologists are doing, even though you're super busy yourself. I know you work closely with teachers. Oh, I do. You do. And you, and so what would that look like if you have a client who is really, they're failing? We get this all the time. Somebody comes in and the parent says, my son is failing all of his classes. There's, you know, and then you probably recommend the testing, but then how do you collaborate with the family? How do you get involved with the school? Well, I have always thought, and I, when I was teaching students, we talked about this too. When you're working with kids, you're working with systems. You can't just treat the child in isolation, right? They're, they're not able to do all these things for themselves yet. It's very different than working with an adult, Right. So you bring in parents and, and you talk about the importance of collaboration with the school and that you want it to be a positive collaboration, not a hostile one, and, yes. right? Because that never goes well. Right. <laughs> and so I think it's really important to try to keep those interactions as collaborative and then with a problem-solving focus yeah. so that we're just moving the ball forward and helping. The- Ross Green, a Harvard psychologist, has a great quote that I always think about when working with kids and families. He says, kids do well if they can. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so true. Yeah. I also kind of believe everyone does well if they can. Yeah. And so if someone is struggling, be it the kid, the teacher, or the parent, Right. There's a reason. And so often it's misinformation. Yes. It, is, it is a misunderstanding of what this disorder is and more importantly, what it is not. Yeah. And, I, and I think that helping teachers, parents understand that is a huge part of helping a child with ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because this morning I was listening to Edward Hallwell's um, Distraction podcast And he said the same thing you just said about the positive collaboration with school. And he said, you know, what he really wants parents to think about is that when they approach the school, that they come to the teacher saying, what can I do to help you? Right. How do I support you in helping my child? It's exactly right. Because he said that um, so often, you know, it's like, my kid needs this and my kid needs this. And, and, you know, I've been there as a parent. I understand those feelings, but he said it just doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. So go to this teacher. Let's be a team. And if the school, if it's just a terrible, terrible fit repeatedly, he said, 
look for somewhere else. Correct. He's so right. I mean, I think that oftentimes when the scenario you describe, parents come in with their child, it's not going well. Parents are frantic. And oftentimes parents think, I need to crack down more on my kid, right? I need to put the video games away and I need to put the cell phone away. And I and, and all that's probably true, but there's something else going on. And so parents, I think, are often feeling anger towards the school or frustrated or scared is what really is underlying all the fear. that, the fear. And they don't understand it. And they can go in more aggressively than they mean to, right? And they're... And I think it's fear-based. And I think that once they understand that the school's there to help and they want their child to succeed and we find out what's underlying the difficulties, then it's a lot easier to collaborate and and to work as a team. I always try to say to parents, look, the more people on this team that care about your child and want your child to succeed, it increases the odds that's going to happen. So one of the things I think that you do and we do, but I, I know you do this because I've shared, I've tested some of your clients, <laughs> yeah. um, is that you will call the school on the parent's behalf and start um, sort of smoothing things out. Absolutely. And I was just emailing <laughs> a school this morning before I came over here. I, I think that schools are eager for this information and, and, and want suggestions and want to know what's worked in session with the yes. child or what's worked at home or, or what strategies they can think about using with this child and are very welcoming of right. that type of information. And so I think that good... So you would encourage parents listening to this if they have a psychologist working with their child to ask the psychologist, of course, with the release, but ask that person to talk to the social worker at school or to reach out at that, you would say, go for it. Absolutely. No, parents shouldn't feel that they're putting too much on a psychologist. No, I think that 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 is a really good point, Catherine. I think that that open communication and sharing of strategies or if something's going wrong at school, let me know so we can work on it in session too. You want to know. Right. You want to know if that student is... You know, stabbing someone with a pencil, right. you you would really like to know about it, and you would really like to get a sense of what happened right before that. Right. And, and, and what, what happened afterwards. Yeah, no, all of those, it's two ways. It's not just what works in session. I need to know what's going on at school, too, because if, if, if the child's often able to do the strategy in session, that's different than being in the actual classroom, surrounded by peers, worried about what they're thinking, or worried about the teacher, under those circumstances, maybe isn't able to enact the strategy that they did so well in my office. I want to understand that better. We can practice that. What do you think are some of the parenting traps, Karen, that tend to bring negative results? Let's say, you know, um, your child is given a diagnosis of it. Your client, they come in, they say, um, we've tried A, B, or C. They're just all a bomb. Like, none of it's working. What do you what do you think are some of the things that happen that just... Parents have good intentions, but they just bomb out with their strategies. I, I think I've yet to meet the parent that doesn't have good intentions, seriously. <laughs> I, I mean, they all mean well, and they all think what they're doing is going to help their kid. And maybe it's helped their older kid, and they think... If that worked with that child, I, I know that was true. My kids are so different. And, and all I had to do was raise an eyebrow 
at my older one and he'd fall into line. And my younger one would say, okay, challenge accepted. You know? <laughs> Kieran, is he the one that you have some of the infamous stories about? Like, yes. <laughs> he asked me if I were going to talk about them, I had to use his brother's name. So... <laughs> Yeah, some very, very hilarious stories. Yes, yes. Oh. This one challenged you around lots of things. Oh, okay. for sure. And I think that the, the, to get back to your question about the parenting traps, I the most common one that I find, and I fell into it myself, so I'm completely empathic about this, is trying to outwill your child, mm. right? And I think that when parents are challenged by a child's behavior, they rightly understand they're the parent and are like okay no that's not acceptable it's not safe or it's not a good idea or whatever and now it escalates into this battle of the wills and I promise you the minute you enter into a battle of the wills with a child with ADHD you've already lost it doesn't work and now you're aggravated and they're upset and everyone's not in a good place anymore. Yeah. And probably the ability to logically and calmly problem solve has left the building. <laughs> so it's not a, that to me is the biggest trap that families get in. And because young kids, especially probably elementary age, um, some middle schoolers, it's harder for them to recognize when they've escalated like that. I, I try to intervene where the parents are because I think they're probably more likely to be able to say okay I've lost it you know <laughs> okay we need to stop this conversation now mm-hmm. right and um once everyone goes to their kind of separate places and cools down and re-regulates they're much more able to engage in problem solving types of skills rather than the blaming yelling Mm. You know, that whole vicious cycle that goes on. Mm. There is a lot of yelling in the households of children <laughs> that have... You can just stop with children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, children with ADHD are far more challenging because all kids learn through repetition. And, and we know that kids with ADHD need more repetition, which means mm. that parents need more patience. And the pharmaceutical companies have not developed the patience pill yet. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Karen. Um, so, right. What you're saying is don't try to outwill your child. Forget it. Right. It's, it's not a winning strategy. <laughs> you know, what I see also is that parents um, get so confused about the uneven skills of a child with ADHD. It is confusing, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's super confusing. Right. You did it yesterday. Why can't you do it today? Yeah. yeah that is confusing. And so then do you find yourself having to um, explain the diagnosis a lot? The biggest role that I think I play with families is I see myself as both educator and therapist. Mm -hmm. And it's so important from the kid's perspective to understand what ADHD is But especially when it's a new diagnosis and a young child, it's important for them to understand what it is not. Mm -hmm. So often, and I know you've had this experience as well, kids walk away hearing that and they think, I'm stupid. So I do a lot. I have my big brain book on my table. (laughs) And they'll like roll their eyes and go, here comes the brain book again. (laughs) But we will look at the brain book frequently to talk about what part of the brain is affected, what part is not, 
And then equally with parents, it's really important for them to understand exactly what this is, that this is a neurological disorder. Yeah. This isn't their child defying them. This isn't their child trying to be naughty or bad. You said it in your book, right? I'm trying. I can't stop. Yeah. With, right? I'm going to stop yeah, talking. But, but I can't. Can. I mean, that was so poignant, yeah. right? And I think that when parents get that and I see that aha moment, I think that's when the whole dynamic shifts. Yeah. Right? And you're no longer angry at your kid. You're like watching your kid drown and you want to jump in and pull them out. Yeah. Right? And, and that shifts everything. Right. I think that speaks to this ongoing process of just when your child learns differently, there is a level of, you know, maybe this is sort of dramatic, but grief. There is there a is level. Grief. There it's is not a dramatic. Level. It's a, it is a fall from your hopes and your expectations. Those aren't going to happen necessarily. And it, it's a big fall for parents. Now, the child with ADHD, those expectations will rise back up because kids are really capable for yeah. the most part, right? But when you hear that diagnosis, it's a tough one. Grief is not too too dramatic a word. Yeah. Sometimes I just don't want parents to feel super down about it. But because I think ultimately, like you said, I may be being protective. I think it's a process. And I think that when you hear a diagnosis of any kind, it's a shock. And I think it takes a while to wrap your head around it. You and I know the kids with ADHD do relatively well in the long run. So, yeah. so for us, it's it's not a hard diagnosis to give. On the other hand, this is a departure from expectations yes. for parents. And, and that is a really important piece to process with parents. And to help them through. And I feel like a lot of my work with parents is around that. Yeah. And then how do you set expectations for a child now that has this disorder? Right. You kind of basically, that's why you have a lot of your clients coming and going and coming. Right. And going because because think, now they're in high school and they're trying to take the ACT. And you're sort of like, okay, well, here we go again. Let's figure out how to keep Mary... Um, you know, how to do this in an in a ADHD way. Correct. And, and and understanding how to, first of all, for a lot of parents, it's their first kid, so they don't know what the new challenges are at the next level of schooling, for example. So we can help with that. You know, for example, when kids are going, I used to run workshops for kids who are transitioning from elementary to middle school, and all of a sudden, the demand on those executive functioning yeah. skills, right? So all of a sudden, I have to know to go to my locker and get my math book and my biology book because I'm not going to have time to go back to my locker. And oh, by the way, my biology homework is in the English section of my trapper, right? All of these things, that is a huge point of we need to get back in and we need some help around this, so right? But their poor child isn't carrying this giant Oh, they backpack. all carry it. They, they all they, carry it. Are you kidding me? They're all going to be, they're going to fall over and never be able to get back up. <laughs> Extinction. It's like <laughs> they should not have to carry those big backpacks if I was me. Oh, oh my gosh. So so one of the I think I'm gonna the, the last question that I that I have for you today, and part of it is that I know that parents whose kids have ADHD, their attention span is probably waning too, because 50% of parents who have a child with ADHD also have it. So um the last thing I'm wondering about is, you know, in terms of areas of, 
you know, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on brilliance and not necessarily intellectual, but shine. What about, what, what do you see in this grouping of kids and parents that tends to shine relative to the typical kid? I think I always refer to it as the gifts of ADHD. You're using the term brilliance, but I completely concur. I find these kids to be amongst the brightest and the most curious yeah. of kids. They don't miss much, right? <laughs> their, their attention is so all over the place that they see more. And I think they make connections between all the things that they see. And I think that, like most kids with learning differences, they're grittier. And I have a ton of respect for gritty kids. I really do. I think it's probably one of the most important things that we can teach our kids is grit. I love Angela Duckworth's work on grit. And I often refer parents and kids to the TED Talks, the book they don't get through. But the TED Talks, (laughs) seven minutes, and we can get them through that. And what she talks about, because we as psychologists used to think we were good at measuring it, but you can't change it much, mm-hmm. right? And so it was kind of a dead end. We now know that I, that grit is a better predictor of success, and there's a ton of room for intervention when it comes mm-hmm. to grit. So I think it's very optimistic. And, and I think that when kids hear that, like, if I try harder, I will get it eventually, that's a huge avenue for them to go down. And so I think that helps them feel more optimistic and I also talk a lot about Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. Yeah. And this idea, and I'm going to summarize here and simplify, but when I talk with kids, I'm like, you know, every time you try something, doesn't matter if you get it right, it's the effort, you're growing your brain. Yeah. So just don't give up. That's a big motto in my office. We don't give up. What's an example of grit? So I just had a kid with this the other day. Um, struggling in math is sitting there at the t- table doing the homework and kind of implodes because he's not <laughs> getting the homework right. Who doesn't have that example in their home, right? But, right? but a kid without ADHD will walk away and come back on their own more than likely because there's something internal that's saying, I want to finish this. Yeah. Kids with ADHD struggle with that. They're like, I see it's nice outside. I want to go outside and I'm not getting this. So this doesn't seem fruitful. Let me go outside and play. What this kid did, remember, it's talked with this mom about, I need to grow my brain, (laughs) and took his pencil back up and tried again. And that, to me, is a great example of grit. It may not be earth-shattering, but I was blown away. That was so hard for that kid to do, and I was so proud of that kid. So was his mom, and she could say that to him. And that interaction is what I think what parents can do to support their kids and not giving up and trying again and and growing their brains and having grit. So it's almost like it's harder for them so that when they do it, it means a lot. A lot more. A lot more, for sure. Yeah. Again, um, thank you. I know you have a super busy practice, and you're going back to the office today, so thank you. It's my pleasure. And thanks for joining me on my podcast today, Finding Your Brilliance. Again, my guest today was Dr. Karen Miller. If this topic speaks to you, please subscribe to my podcast. You can find out more about me at my website, KQADHDandU. That's and, A-N-D, and the letter U.com. Thanks for listening, and until we meet again, 
Just remember that each of us have our own brilliance. Sometimes it just takes a while to find it.